You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and Merry Christmas! We finally made it to December, and I'm so excited. I finally put up all of my Christmas decorations. I'd imagine I'm recording this pre-setting up, but I imagine by the time this comes out, my little studio apartment is a Christmas explosion. Um, so this week, I'm really excited to bring you Rachel Baker. I stumbled across her randomly on Instagram. One of my friends posted her new book that just came out. And um, I was like, I have to talk to her and have her on the show. So it is just the Lord that this happened so seamlessly. And I'm so excited to hear more about her story and the heart behind um, her Bible study guide called Deconstructed. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jess. I'm so happy to be with you. And I know that your studio is just going to be decorated beautifully for Christmas, as is is. my my little office. Yes. Um, So as we get started, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background, and specifically about how you came to know Jesus. So it has been, it's interesting. Um, It's been a long, windy path of faith. Uh, I grew up in the church and just to give you a little background. So I'm married to a pastor, which was a surprise to me because I never planned on being married to a pastor. And I work in ministry. I'm a women's ministry director. So that's also a shock to me because I was never something that was on my radar in terms of vocation or even volunteering. Um, And I did, I grew up in the church. I grew up in a little church in Southern California, and it was a really interesting tight-knit community that did small groups beautifully and community really, really well. And, um, but I never really understood my faith, if that makes sense to you. Like I knew that Jesus loved me because the Bible told me so, but don't ask me to cite where, um, because I had no idea. Uh, and so I did have, I had a faith. I knew who God was and, uh, I knew that Jesus loved me and who Jesus was. And I knew that there was a Holy spirit. So I knew those elements of faith, but it never really became my own faith. And throughout my childhood, I would, you know, I loved it. I loved God. I loved Jesus. I would pray and sing and, you know, all of those things that we do that when we grow up in a Christian home, but I still struggled to know how, Jesus knew me personally. Like, was I really a personal daughter of his or was he more of just this big omniscient mystery that I would just never really understand? Um, And right before I started middle school, my actually my dad and my brother were killed in an accident. And the way our little church community rallied around us, but the help that my mom got was kind of non-existent. Mm -hmm. And so she really, really struggled. And consequently, her living children really, really struggled. And by the time I made it to high school, faith was kind of an afterthought. It was like, 
I went to church on Sunday because that was the expectation. And I went to youth during the week so that I could go to the party on Friday. And it was kind of that manipulation. Like you got to go, you got to go do the thing. But if you do the thing, then you'll get the reward, which is like, you could go to the party. Um, Cause that's really all I wanted to do by the time I was 17 years old. So in college, I, again, I knew that there was a God, um, but I didn't really want to have a relationship with him. It wasn't something that I was really interested in because it meant a correcting of my lifestyle. And my lifestyle at the time was nothing. There was no Christ-like orientation to my lifestyle. I wanted to be in complete rebellion of anything looked that looked godly or faith-led. Uh, and it actually, it's, I've shared this story on my own blog a couple of times where my junior year of college, I actually went on a year of study abroad and one of my flatmates below me, he invited me to church. I don't know why I said yes. I was like, oh, all right, fine. Um, maybe because it was like, oh, if I go, I'll go to the party on Friday. I don't know what <laughs> I was like, why I said yes, but it was, that is the power of the invite. I said yes having no idea. So if you're thinking about inviting a friend to church or to engage in community or small group, just keep inviting them because you never know. They might randomly one day say yes, and they might end up in ministry. Who knows? So I went to this church and it turned out that the pastor and his wife were from Southern California and I resonated with their message and they just loved on me in such neat ways. And they didn't really... They didn't expect my life to change overnight. In fact, my life very much externally looked the same. I still partied. I still had a boyfriend. I still did all the things that I had done before and didn't really feel a deep level of remorse or sorrow or conviction. That was something that took time and years and a lot of people pouring into my life and I'm sure praying for me unbeknownst to me and just loving and loving and loving and loving and inviting and including. And by the time I got home from a year of study abroad, I plugged into a little church plant in SoCal close to my college and just started learning more about what it was to be a Christian, who Christ actually was. And it completely transformed my faith. So it's interesting because my the book that I wrote, Deconstructed, it is about that stripping away and getting to the heart of the message. Um, and it, and I wrote it when I was in the process of writing it. The term deconstructing faith wasn't even really a, a term. So God is just so sovereign. I just kind of chuckle because what happened to me in high school and college was I, I completely deconstructed my faith. I completely ripped it all apart, ripped, whipped away what was maybe extra biblical or cultural things that I just been told because somebody else had been told that, but we never really examined it. And so now as I, you know, as I was reapproaching my faith, I realized I was kind of starting from like a blank canvas, like trying to determine what it actually meant to live a life in Christ. So that's the, the long journey with how I ended up returning to my faith. And then shortly thereafter, I met my would-be husband who was a Bible college student. And I just thought, oh, he's so cute. He's 6'2". He's got good shoulders. He has red hair. I don't, that is a thing for me. And I thought I can work with this. And so, <laughs> and, he, and he loves Jesus. And that works too, because I need someone who loves Jesus if I'm going to continue on this journey of faith. 
And um, we started dating, got engaged. And next thing I know, he gets this, he was still in Bible college. He gets a call at, for, at this um, from this church in Colorado to come interview. And we are literally getting married like the a week after he gets a call, he's offered a job. And next thing you know, I'm about to be a pastor's wife. I had like an ex- existential crisis. I was like, oh, oh no, that's not, that's not going to work out. <laughs> like, me, Lord? No, mm, that's weird. Um, and God has just, so we've been married 12 years and God has just been working on me and working on me and working on me. And it's constantly me going like, if they knew my past, if they knew how broken I am, if they knew, like, I throw out every block and barricade that I can come up with uh, to disqualify myself from ministry. Mm. And God's just like, have you read the Bible, Rachel? Have you seen the examples, the people I've used? Do you know what I've done? Do you know that I'm the God of redemption? And it just completely transforms the way that I think about ministry and how I love on people because he loved me first. I'm like, he loved me when I was in a mess, a rut. Um, and so here I am. So that is my, the mm. unlikely pastor's wife. I always joke. I'm like, that's God definitely has a sense of humor. He does. And man, I love that. He never left you. No, like, never. He every never left step me. of the way, he he was there and he was wooing you back. And, you know, when your heart was ready, he he got you. Yeah. Yeah. Sneaky God. Sneaky, not <laughs> sneaky God. Um, oh, no. <laughs> you know, you kind of touched on shame there and, um, you know, how you have wrestled through that and how this devil has tried to use it maybe to hold you back from things. What is a word you would have for someone out there who is in that right now and just feels like, I'm not worthy, I've done too much, my mistakes are too big, the consequences are still, like, I'm still in the middle of them, I'm discounted. Yeah. What what do you have for that person? I think the first thing that helped me was identifying that it was a lie. It was a lie. And it's a lie that we buy into in the church, but I also, I see that outside of the church just as much people grappling with shame and, and where it comes from, maybe it is a Christian ethic. Like the people that don't know Christ, they don't even know why they feel ashamed. They're like, well, why do I feel ashamed? But I feel ashamed. Like I'm broken by this thing, but what's the foundation that creates the shame in me? And And that's just not how God loves on us. It's just not how he beckons us. Yes, like we can be corrected, but the intent is not for us to live in a place of shame. We're not supposed to identify that, identify ourselves as that or brand ourselves as that. And and so the first thing is to identify the lie. Like I am not worthy. Well, wait a second. You You were bought for by the blood of Christ. What he's, he has not said that about you. And actually um, in our women's ministry, some of the women that I lead alongside with, we're doing a kind of a survey of New Testament women and how kind and gentle and loving and just so tender and caring Jesus is right in the middle of their crisis, right in the middle of the worst parts of their lives, when they're walking in shame, when they're, and these, this is, that's religion. When shame binds us, that's, that's religion. That's not Jesus. 
And his example shows us like his, let's look at the actual examples. He's like, no, I came for you and I love you and I'm calling you home. And he wants to break that chain in your life. He doesn't want you to hang out there. I mean, acknowledge it, go, yeah, that happened. And then let him do the work to start Mm -hmm. guiding you back to him. I I just, oh, it kills me. Cause I know that was me. Like I just, I lived in that for so long and I know so many women we just struggle with that. We disqualify ourselves all day long. It wrecks me. Yeah. As you've been studying these women, is there one that kind of stands out who you hold like very dear to your heart or one of them that stands out the most that you could share with our, our listeners? You know, oh gosh, there's so many great examples. Um, I actually have a list because we're going to write um, a curriculum for spring study for on these specific women. But I, I think I do always, I go back to, ah, they're, it's hard because they're really good. I put good. you on the spot. I know. They're really good. Um, cause I'm like, well, well, you know, you got to go with the woman at the well, but then it's like, well, wait a second, wait a second. They're at the woman with the issue of blood. Think about the cult, the cultural shame of that, you know? And, um, there are just so many incredible stories, but I do, I think I do tend to go back to the woman at the well, because Jesus met her right in the middle of her shame. She's going out to fetch water midday in the heat of the day because she can't be associated with the other women because she's been rejected because of her lifestyle. And Jesus just calls it out. Like, so he's not, he doesn't sweep things under the rug. He's not like, oh, you know, what you're doing is fine. He doesn't say that. He's like, oh yeah, no, the guy you're living with, that's not your husband. In fact, you've had like four husbands, three husbands. And he calls out the sin in her life, but he does it in a way that is so kind and gentle. Like he's matter of fact, but he's not, he doesn't reject her. He doesn't condemn her. He actually flips the narrative and he includes her. He shares the gospel with her, shares the word with her. He reveals himself to her. I'm like that that in of itself, like for Jesus to reveal who he was, this is the beginning of his ministry. Like this is when he launches, like he's been building up his following, uh, you know, the disciples in very close knit circles, but he launches his ministry with that woman. And you have to like that story. I think about the power of Jesus's actions. Like he launched his ministry by acknowledging a woman who is living a lifestyle that is so contrary to a godly lifestyle. And he's like, Hey, there's room for you. Yeah. It's like, Oh gosh. Okay. All right, Lord, if you could do that for her, you could do that for any one of us. You could do it for all of us. And in fact, you have, you have. And so when we remember that, when we replace the shame with what he's already done and we rebuke the lie in our lives, we say, no, you're not going to own me. You're not going to lead me. I'm not going to live my life party to this. We have freedom. I mean, and that's what, I mean, that's what he came for, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think so. Amen. And, you know, with the woman at the well, he knew all these things about her. It's not like he was surprised. It's not like right. he revealed himself to her and then was like, oh, my bad. Oh. Sorry. I didn't realize you had done all these things. Like, Yeah, disqualified. He uh, sought her out already right. knowing everything about her right right so there's nothing we can hide from him he knows everything already and he still pursues us and loves us and died for us exactly exactly so i don't know if i mean 
I can't think of another story where you're going to find or another, like there is no God, there is no other religion where that happens for humanity. It's like, go look, go look, go research because go deconstruct everything you thought you knew about what it is to be a Christ follower and land on that. Mm-hmm. You have been given freedom, you know, and because you've been given freedom, we should walk like free people. Amen. That is good. Um, I want to circle back to something you said when you were sharing your story um, okay. about the the way that the church when you were young didn't support your mom and your family. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there who have been hurt by the church mm. and wow. or people within the church. And um you know, especially around the holidays, I think it can get really complicated mm. feeling yeah. and emotional. Yes. And I, I don't know. I just wonder if you could speak to like how to heal from pain caused by, you know, the people of God who are supposed to be right. there for you and uplift you and be Jesus right. to you. But how do we like reconcile when we get hurt by, yeah. by the church? I mean, it- And it's such a real problem that we face, even in ministry. I mean, like I have had relationships where I thought, oh, we're going to be like the best of friends and then have been totally either rejected or betrayed, or there's been a misunderstanding, but that individual hasn't given me an opportunity to clarify or like their assumptions made. And I think what's hard is that, you know, in the church, the call is to be in community, right? So we want to be in Christ-centered community, but it's messy. And to expect it to be anything other than messy means that we're probably going to end up really disappointed. Uh, and in my mom's case, you know, I want to, I want to be, I want to clarify that the the people of the church that we went to, or that congregation, they rallied around her relationally. But that was the early 90s. We didn't talk about mental health. There wasn't a whole lot of grief training. If you're a small church plant, which we were, we didn't have, you know, larger mental health organizations coming in and saying, hey, like, this is how we tackle grief. This is how we tackle addiction. This is how we tackle mental health. Like, those conversations, um, at least in our context, just weren't happening. And so someone like my mom, who she, you know, she lost her husband and her son in one day. And the fact that she is alive and thriving and leading a beautiful life is a testament to the power of what God can do. But the reality is, is that that, I mean, gosh, like 10 years because she didn't get the help she needed. She didn't have someone to walk alongside her and say, you need weekly, maybe bi-weekly grief support. You need, you know, like here, here are the tools that you need. Oh, and you're allowed to grieve by the way, you know, and I actually, um, I can't think of a better example uh, than Kay Warren about a year after her son, Matthew took his life. Uh, she wrote, I think it was just on her Facebook, but I think she did later like publish it or somebody took it and reposted it. But she wrote about prolonged grief and that we grief is ugly and messy and sticky and in Western culture, we don't want to mess around with it. We're like, okay, I'm sorry you're grieving. There, there, feel better. You'll be at work on Monday, right? 
Like there's just not a lot of support in the church or outside of, of the church, or there wasn't enough support in the church at the time. And I do think that's shifting. Mm-hmm. I think I'm seeing more and more churches that are really tackling the issue of grief, mental health, addiction, all of those issues that, you know, if you're alive and breathing, you're going to rub up against because we are so human. But I think, you know, especially in the holiday season, it's hard because, you know, even in our own church, we've had people leave the church over the last year and a half with everything with COVID, like, you know, not happy because we, we wore masks, not happy because we didn't, you know, like there was, there was just no winning um, and people got hurt. And that's, That's a tragedy because I think what needs to happen from all standpoints, not just from the perspective of, okay, we're in ministry, we're the pastors, you know, we're, you know, what, what does our lead team look like? How are they conducting themselves? But all the way down to the congregants holding space for each other to say like, you know, these are hard decisions that we have to make and we're going to, we're going to walk them out even if we don't agree with each other, we're going to walk them out hand in hand. We're going to love on each other well, and we're going to be forgiving and extend grace. And so I think if you have been hurt by a church, and sometimes I'll be honest, it's not appropriate to return to the church that you were hurt in. And I in no way want to diminish uh, legitimate church hurt and legitimate church abuse. Like, in no way am I doing that. Uh, those are very legitimate issues that I know people have walked through. And um, and I think that they need to be identified and addressed. However, I don't think that that should remove us from the body of Christ completely. Sometimes it means that you need a moment before you're ready and take your moment, but don't let that moment become a lifetime. Don't let that moment be the reason that you're not in community because we actually are built for community. Sometimes it means that we need to find a different church that's a healthier fit for us or just a better cultural fit for us. We've had people leave our church because, you know, myriad of reasons like, oh, you know, they have women pastors or, you know, they don't like that. And so it's like, okay, that's, that's cultural. That's a, that's a rib issue. This is not a foundational gospel issue. This is not a salvational issue, but I appreciate that you understand that culturally that doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. So here are some churches that that might work for, be better. You know, our worship style, maybe, you know, people get boogered up over worship styles. Like they have too many electric guitars. Well, there is a beautiful church down the street from us that doesn't have any, you know, you know, no amplified music. And I encourage you to go there. The the intent is that we're in community. Mm-hmm. And so even if you have walked through a season of her, I do, I, I highly recommend, you know, take that brave step um, back into community, maybe in a different context, but be brave enough to understand that because the church, this side of eternity is run by people, it gets messy. Yeah. And, and every single church is messy because every single person is messy. Mm -hmm. Perfect church doesn't exist here (laughs) because perfect people don't exist here. So, Yes. And that is just the grace of God that he still uses us despite all of our brokenness and selfishness and miscommunications. Right. I mean, I think that does kind of go back to that whole shame concept, right? Like, I mean, we are all, every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, right? Like, so if we acknowledge that 
and we go, whoa, I messed up. You know, it doesn't mean we don't have work to do. Sometimes we have legitimate work to do where we need to seek forgiveness and we need to seek clarity. And, you know, that's, that's real. But at the same time, if we just assume of ourselves or our leaders that we haven't fallen short of the glory of God and we're not going to slip up, then we're going to give our, do ourselves a disservice because we're going to be holding people up to the standard that's unachievable. You can't attain that. Um, so yeah, I think grace is super important. Yes, it is. Um, I kind of want to transition a little bit to your book, Deconstructed. Um, if you're watching the video, this is it. I'm holding up a copy of it. Um, and we will be giving one away on our Instagram later this week. So circle back and check out there or check out our giveaway there. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the heart behind the book. Like what led you to write this? Um, what, I guess, what is it about? Just kind of the, the general. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, before my husband and I moved, to Northern Nevada, where we're currently doing ministry. We spent three years. Um, he was a campus pastor in Salt Lake City. And um, that was, so to be clear, I have not been to seminary. I have a communications degree. So it's very interesting. I'm like, uh, how am I supposed to help? What am I supposed to do? Um, and But I love to write. I've been writing since I was a little girl. And I had a friend of mine approach me and say, hey, I'm trying to find a Bible study for we are ministering to women who are, you know, determining what biblical Christianity actually was. Um, they had been leaving the predominant religion in that area and they didn't trust their Bibles. They're like, does the Bible really say that? And and they were very, very critical. So they were fully deconstructing out of one faith, but not wanting to leave God. They're like, but I believe that there's a God help me get there, help me understand how, and, and they would look at their Bibles, like almost like children, like you, they, you know, they were starting with nothing essentially. And we were just trying to figure out a way, how do we teach them to engage with the word of God? You know, how do we encourage them to do that critically, but not to be overwhelmed by it? You know, and it's like, my husband has multiple seminary degrees. And when I was writing, I wanted it to be under a hundred pages specifically. And so I'm like working and working, trying to like pack as much as I could, but keep it really pretty because pretty matters. Um, and he like drops these textbooks onto my desk. Like these might help. And they, I'm like, this is why, this is why we need this little tiny study guide because it is so overwhelming. If you don't have a seminary degree, let's say you didn't grow up in the church and you're, you're grabbing your Bible and you're like, okay, where do I start? You know, and most people will be like, well, it makes the most sense if you start at the beginning. And it's like, no, don't start there because, you know, because then you're going to, you're not going to understand that that's the old covenant. You're no longer bound by that law. That is that is our history and it's good to know. And we definitely need to read it and understand it. However, you are not bound by that. So we can just all take those Jeremiah 29, 11 bumper stickers right off our cars because that's not a promise that's for us. But when we don't understand that context, we're just like, oh no, now I have to live up to the 10 commandments. Great. You know, and, 
And it's so confusing because you don't understand that Jesus already fulfilled that. You know, he fulfilled those laws. He fulfilled that covenant and he gave us a new covenant. And that's the story in the gospels and the epistles and the growth of the church. And so helping people understand how to break the Bible apart, what the different types of literature are found in the Bible, like really just stripping it all back. Like, hey, you know, let's maybe not read Proverbs as like, literal, like if you raise up a child in the way Proverbs says, if I raise up a child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. But my child's an atheist. What happened? You know, it's like, no, 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 no. You know, we need to understand this poetic language. This is encouragement. You know, this is historical, you know, historical data. But when we get the literary styles confused, then we could assume something that's not even applied, not meant for us. So, I think it's really important. And because, and I think because my background, like, so my emphasis was journalism and I learned how to write like a journalist. So you put the most important information at the very top and it kind of like delineates down. Understanding like what is critical when you read the Bible, what should you be looking for? What are the themes? What points you back to, um, to the identity of Christ? What is, you know, prophetic language? What is the fulfillment of that prophecy? Um, and that really helps you grasp on to these concepts and make it personal to your own life, but also realize, wow, like this, this text holds up. Mm-hmm. It holds up. And so when you start looking at it critically and it becomes, while it is, yes, it's a living, powerful document and the words you can have read a specific chunk of scripture a hundred times and suddenly it's illuminated to you through the Holy Spirit and you see it in new light. The reality is, is that you can engage with it over and over and over and it doesn't have to be confusing. You don't have to have an emotional reaction every single time. Sometimes you can have a head knowledge, like go, whoa, okay. Like we're doing this. We did Jonah and uh, just our women's ministry in the fall. And I kept saying to them, this is not your Sunday school version of Jonah. And so we pulled out maps. We pulled out all of this extra information so that women could look at the story critically and be like, oh, okay. Now it makes more so much more sense. Wow. Understanding why Jonah ran and why culturally he was like totally upset with God for sending him to proclaim his word. It's like, oh, because now we have the cultural concepts behind it. So Sorry, I know it went on very, very long about why. <laughs> why no, I, I love it. I, that's great. <laughs> but I just, I really want women to be able to pick up their Bibles and go like, I understand how this not only applies to my life, but I also understand when maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and that's really important to know. And But it also shows us the heart of God. And I think ultimately just circling back to the heart of God, like that's, that's where that clarity can lie. Like, oh, he loved the Israelites that much and they constantly messed up. Oh gosh, Israel, when are you going to fix? Oh, that's me. Yeah. You know? And it's like, that can transform the way we engage with the Bible and it can grow our faith and it can help yeah. us share our faith with other people. Yeah. And so many of those Old Testament promises that are taken out of context in our culture You know, they were for the Israelites, but I think, you know, they reveal things about God's character that are true for us as well. Absolutely. So I was wondering, what new things has God been revealing to you about His character in this season you're in right now? (sighs) 
You know, I think, um, I don't know that it's a new thing. It's just something that he has to completely, completely remind me of over and over and over and over. And it's about um, that his grace is sufficient for me and that he will sustain me. Because, so I, um, I am like, I have a lot of energy, but I, I, so I have a lot of energy to like engage with people and that's about it. Um, and then I need a nap. Uh, and I, I get sick really easy. I get worn down really fast. I get emotional and tired and then will feel like heavy and burdened in my soul. And um, just right now in this season of ministry, it's been hard. It's I'm tired. And I think a lot of people in ministry are feeling that where, okay, we rallied, we worked so hard to come up with creative new ways to do church when we all had to shift online or social distance church, or, you know, we got creative um, and we, we pushed through, you know, these, these walls and we built out our endurance to do ministry in new contexts. And, you know, and we took the heat for it either way, you know, we made people really happy and we made people really mad. Um, and it's not like God didn't know this was coming. I mean, he is completely sovereign. He picked us to be alive right now. So I have to trust him in that. Like, but I get overwhelmed. Like I get overwhelmed with fear when I look at my children, like what's happening in this world. This is, this is not, um, this isn't the nineties where like, you could just go ride your bike and, you know, street lights come on and you come home and nobody had a cell phone. And it was really great. Didn't have to worry about what you might be accessing on your school computer. And, you know, all of those things are, I'm like, God, how, how am I supposed to live and minister and parent and be a good wife in this context? Because the world is just exhausting sometimes. It's just exhausting. Let's just yeah. call it what it is. And he has to remind me over and over. And sometimes it's through me literally curled in the fetal position in bed crying because I do that or talking to my husband and just being like, I just you know, what, how, you know, and, or in community, in my small group and my women's group. And he reminds me over and over, Rachel, I'm going to sustain you. Like, don't get yourself because I'm futuristic. I like to think for it. I like to know where I'm going and I goal set and I like to have those plans and it's great, but he, he will give us grace for today. Mm. And I have to remember that like, okay, Lord, help me today. Give me grace for today and help me forgive myself when I trip up and I want to get really mad and frustrated with myself. And then I'll like, sometimes I'll just be like, oh, forget it. I don't, ah, I don't want to do this. And he's like, Rachel, my grace is sufficient for you today. Like just rest in that. And when I can hear that prompting from the Holy Spirit, to be like, okay, I don't need to figure Friday out. Like I need to figure Monday out. Um, there's a lot of freedom in that. And I think, I think we all need a healthy dose of that. Remembering that his grace is sufficient for today mm. and let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. And sometimes it's just like, okay. All right, Lord. Thank you. Yeah. I'll remember that. Yeah. And we need that more than ever in December. There's, yes. There's so many <laughs> good things happening, but I it also... we can we can miss a lot of good because we're just so caught up in the frenzied hurried rush of the season yes yes this is why i recommend getting all if if you're a christmas shopper and you do gifts just get it done 
in advance, you know, it's coming, you know, Christmas is coming every year. So it's like <laughs> every year, there it is. Get it done. Um, <laughs> as we wrap up, I was wondering what final word of encouragement you have for our listeners out there in this season of, you know, Christmas, but also everything that can come along with that. Um, I don't know. Is the Holy Spirit laying anything on your heart for somebody out there? Yeah. So, you know what? Um, from Psalm 4610, I'm just going to grab this and it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. And, you know, I think along with that grace for today, you know, especially in the frenzy of the holiday season, um, take some time. And maybe it's right when you're done listening to this podcast, or maybe you can schedule it on your phone every morning for five minutes or five minutes right before bed. Go lock yourself in a room and, you know, turn on a soothing worship song. I actually, I love listening. I don't know if you're familiar with Christy Knuckles. Yeah. Uh, she has, she has a lullaby, her lullabies and even the instrumental ones when I'm like so unsettled or when I'm overscheduled and I've done it to myself because I'm a yes person. Um, and I need that, that grace to get me through. Sometimes what will sustain that is that stillness first mm. where it's like, okay, I need to just go sit and sit on the ground and maybe grab my Bible and read a Psalm and listen to something that is going to soothe my soul, but bring me down. So I'm not in that frenzy um, and spend some time in prayer, just starting with Thanksgiving, like, Lord, oh my gosh, I'm thankful, you know, and just lay it out. Start with that. Like, I am thankful for this. And then give him those, you know, petitions. Like, will you, will you help me with this? Will you help me with that? But I think if we lead with that stillness, that quiet, that gratitude, engaging with his word. And then we give him those petitions. Sometimes I think what we even ask for in prayer might be transformed by the predicating stillness because mm -hmm. some things were like, oh wait, that wasn't even important. Yeah. You know, thanks God for helping me see that right there. Ooh, um, yeah. And I think we need that, especially through the yeah. holidays. So Yeah, that, ooh, that's powerful. That is great. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on and just for sharing your heart and giving us some encouragement today. Uh, thank you so much, Jess, for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Oh, what a great conversation with Rachel. I love how what she ended with there on Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. You know, before that passage in that chapter of Psalm 46, the writer is describing all of these chaotic, devastating things happening on the earth, like mountains crashing into the heart of the sea and, you know, just these massive displays of like chaos and power. And yet in that, even in the chaos, we can be still and know that He is the Lord, and that He's got us. And so I want to end today with something that feels a little counterintuitive counter, counter on a podcast, but I'm just going to be silent um, for like 10 seconds. And I want to create this space because I know you just listened through to the end anyway, right? So create a little space 
for you in your day, in your car ride, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this, for you to just be still. Um, Maybe you just listen to sounds around you. Maybe you take it as a moment to pray, um, just deep breaths, whatever you need. Um, You know, maybe you Think of a few things you're thankful for and just praise God. What, you know, what do you love about his character? Tell him, you know, just like our guests do every week on the podcast, God loves to hear what we love about him. I mean, I just imagine that he's so delighted by that. So right now I'm just going to be silent for about 10 seconds and then I'll close us out after that. I want to close in a prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for breath and life. Thank you for being infinite and yet meeting us where we are. We just praise you for sending your son. And that is what we celebrate in this season, Lord, the grace and the redemption and the freedom that is found in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that in the rush of this holiday season, Lord, you calm our hearts, you bring a stillness, and we experience your rest and your peace because that can only be found and sustained in you, Lord. So I just pray that over each and every person listening to this. Um, today. We pray these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you all are having a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. You can also find Jess at Just Beyondo. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elan.